Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe. Now introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs in a Maybe. My name's Eb Mann and today we're very lucky to be joined by Simon Bennett. How you doing, Simon? I'm good, thanks. Thanks <laughs> Thanks for having me. No, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Uh, yes. Yeah, so my name is Simon. I am a 26-year-old software consultant from Norwich in Norfolk. That's sort of the day job and as in my free time or mornings and evenings, I run a, a little SaaS company called Snapshooter. And also look after a baby as well. You have your own baby as well, which is obviously another full-time job. Uh, she's kind of uh, two and a half now, so she's she's not too bad. She sleeps fantastically well, seven till seven, guaranteed. Oh, that's brilliant. I was just uh, going through your blog and stuff and looking through your history. It's like, suppose at the beginning of her life, you were kind of like working these, you know, this SaaS product around her, you know, when she was sleeping, right, I can do a bit of coding now and get on with some bits and bobs. There's a lot of multi-threading, multitasking going on there. Yeah, yeah. I think you might even find a picture of her sat next to the laptop in one of those little baby seats on <laughs> a program. That is awesome. So for the audience, kind of like some little backstory here. So you got in contact with us about essentially kind of trying to get like maybe an ad placement on the on the podcast. I'm terrible at all podcast related endeavors. Like we don't have never even thought, well, we have thought about ads and stuff, but I just don't do the podcast nearly enough. But it was interesting kind of your backstory, what you're doing, the whole idea of product development, product design. And I thought it'd just be great to get you on the show to talk about it all. Uh, so would you mind for the audience explaining what got you interested in software development and subsequently product design? Back in high school, um, I always wanted to run businesses and um, I was always trying to sell suites and do things like that and then repair things and try and sell them. And then we did this course in at school as part of IT, building websites using Microsoft Word of all things. And Microsoft Word for Microsoft website. Word, yeah. I've, Can you like, export to HTML, I'm guessing? I think I remember doing that. I think that's literally it. So you'd export to HTML and then you do... a great markup you get there. Great yeah, it markup. Is, yeah, you end up with like a thousand lines of header. Um, <laughs> so and then I realized that it was just outputting some simple HTML and uh, you'd make a simple change in Word and it would just break everything. So you could, it was easier just to edit the, the HTML and that sort of sort of planted the seed in my mind with sort of building websites, which went off into development. And then I think... I think as a developer, it's a fantastic tool if you want to be building businesses to have that. Definitely at the moment. I was interested. So the, the business kind of side of things came before the development side. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've always been fixing bikes in my mum's shed or I started an Xbox repair business during sixth form and having the ability to build software sort of meant I could take that sort of urge to build businesses, but put it online. It'd be really interesting actually to go through the history of some of your products that you've kind of made and everything. Like there seems to be quite a few and, and I really like it in the talk that you gave. Um, so it's a Laravel EU kind of sidetrack talk. I can't remember exactly the terminology. It's there. unconference they call it. it. The unconference. And you were talking, it was really interesting actually coming from someone who has never really dealt with any product stuff, uh, not, not really looked, delved into like the SaaS model or kind of, you know, doing it on a personal level. I really like in the talk that, you, you know, you mentioned that every product failure is really just an experiment. You can look at it as kind of a failure. Oh, no, it didn't work. But really, it's just kind of an experimental building block up to something that will 
you know, be successful or be something that, you know, you want. So okay, would you mind maybe going through some lineage of kind of, you know, the products you've built over time and kind of, you know, a bit of history about them? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I have to consider them uh, lessons because I've had so many failures. It would be sort of depressing otherwise. Um, I've tried everything from building like little social network platforms, which to be honest, might have been more of just learning to program at the time. Um, what else I've tried? I tried a lot of social like Twitter platforms and stuff like that. That was really in the early days. And then I tried, during my university years, I tried to build a rent management software. When we moved into our accommodation, the um, the estate agents lost all of the paperwork. Oh, joy. Yeah, yes. Just um, what you want. Just what you need, yeah. And then they also lost paperwork on the day, which meant we were just stuck outside the house for ages. And it was just a nightmare. And I thought, when I walked into their office, I thought, I'm not surprised. And this perf- perfect opportunity to use software, right? Um, so I thought I'd build something um, to manage basically for students to rent properties. Um, I'm sure plenty of other people have seen this as thought this is a good idea. I did, did form a company and start working on that. And then possibly after six months to a year of development, when I actually had to go and talk to landlords and estate agents, I decided. I don't really like them. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think that's a that's a real key aspect for any of these businesses like you could see like you have a handyman come around to clean your carpet or whatever and you realize he's got nothing he's doing it all on paperwork and you think oh well you know software would work really well i could build that and then sell it to them but do you really want to spend your time talking to carpet cleaners for example nothing wrong with them but it's really key to make sure that you're actually interested and can go and talk to the market you're going to build for really so from there then, so you started off, you know, especially at university, I remember you mentioning this one on that, you know, the the experiments kind of phase where, you know, you did it for the landlord stuff and everything, and you realize it's all about product fit and really you've got to be invested and interested. And I would I would love to know actually, like for you, what comes first? Like, is it the software, designing software, you know, good software architecture, kind of the love of programming, or is it solving the problem? It used to be that, and I think that's probably where those earlier products went wrong. They always seem to turn into like a learning exercise about new design patterns or architectures as such. Uh, but it's definitely more important to make sure that you are a good fit for the market and you know you want to go and actually target that market. No, that's cool, yeah, because I think that's that's where a developer maybe can get a bit sidetracked is that along with a new, you know, domain to map or model to map, you know, whatever you're going to do, you know, like this, you've got this idea, you've got this business idea, you want to then apply maybe the latest framework or the latest methodology paradigms and whatnot. And that can really, you know, very much muddy the water there about what's important in it. Uh, So for you, what's your kind of mentality? Is it keep it simple at the beginning and just get something out there? It definitely is. It's trying to build the smallest possible, like spend the least amount of time programming that you can to actually test your product. So for example, Snapshooter, we take backups of DigitalOcean servers. At the start, it was just a really, really simple cron script with such a basic website where you could hardly do anything. Just And we did get customers at that stage. But I remember you saying actually, reading that it was like, you know, the fact that you can have like a you being available and like using my SQL, you know, like a GUI client or whatever to be able to just access the database to do these user management stuff at the beginning is invaluable. And it's all these extra add-ons that can happen at the, you know, later on. It's not the prime, what is, you know, what is the business value? What are you trying to solve? 
Yeah, precisely. Think of how many sort of systems used to operate on Microsoft Access with people doing raw queries to fix things. Instead of going out and spending lots of time building fancy UIs and automating things that people may never, ever need. Yeah, absolutely. So if you say in the past, and if you've maybe done some got too much gold plating, too much kind of looking into different paradigms and stuff, and, and has, has the, have you also got bored of the ideas you know, that, that come about? Yeah, definitely. When I built Full Rent, I spent, it was basically an exercise in learning event sourcing, which for, for contract management and stuff is fantastic. But as someone who was new to it, I spent a lot of time doing that until I got to the point where I needed to put it in front of people. And then I realized I wasn't a very good sort of founder market fit or whatever. And I could have, if I'd have tried that way earlier, then realized that this wasn't the great market for me and, you know, moved on. It was a good exercise in learning event sourcing though. So it's a good, you know, business problem like to solve and it's a good way of solving it. And it kind of allows you to, you know, take advantage of that. Uh, so with Snapshooter then, uh, would you mind maybe explaining that? I know you've just touched on it, but maybe a little more detail. Okay. So a couple of years ago, I was working and they, the client had lots of WordPress digitalization instances. At that point, you could, I think it was still $10 to spin up a new server and they'd spin one up for a client. And they were looking for a better way of doing backups. So at the time, DigitalOcean was offering, or still does, offers weekly backups, and they retained the last four. Um, but I noticed on that API that you could take a snapshot, which was the same as a backup, and keep as many as you want. You just pay the storage fees. So I thought, well, I know we could just build a simple cron script to go through and take snapshots hourly or daily, um, and then keep them and set up a sort of a nice rotation policy to say, you know, bin them after a month. And that's how Snapshooter was born as a way to sort of exploit the digitalization API to make Becca better or more frequent digitalization backups. And it's surprising how far that idea has gone <laughs> to, the, to the point now where we've got, I think, I think we've got about 800 free users, 160 odd paying customers and just generating just over three grand a month. Wow, that's awesome. And, and is that, so that's just come from one idea. You thought, look into the API, you found like a way of solving this. You thought, let's market this and actually provide a, you know, a valuable service that other people will need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's perfect for that sort of web agency sort of person who just wants an easy way to restore it. And it's such, it's such a simple idea. So I guess that comes back to building it as quick and simple as possible. I could have spent a long time putting bells and whistles and supporting other providers, et cetera. Well, that's it. At the beginning, yeah, you focused just on DigitalOcean, and now you also target AWS as well. Yes. So was that was that just expanding horizons? Kind of, you know, are people like, was it, you know, customer demand, or was it more you thinking maybe, you know, I can progress this product? It's a little bit of both. I had a few customers who are on higher plans who were interested in doing it, so sort of offered it to them. It's actually turned out to be a little bit harder to market than um, DigitalOcean, which. On hindsight, I think it's fair enough where a lot of people on AWS probably can manage doing the backups themselves. So with, with DigitalOcean, then it's interesting because obviously their API, so you, you rely heavily on their API. Has the API changed? Have you had, ever had like a old crap moment, you know, where they've changed something or has it been relatively smooth? I've had instances where I've broken it, <laughs> like their API. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've basically discovered quite a few bugs in it to do with taking snapshots and stuff like that, which we've sort of got a contact or two inside that I sort of email and we work, work through them. So they would, for example, they had an endpoint that would just return a 500 if you were sending too many 
if you were sending too many snapshot requests instead of just displaying an error. Solid yeah. bug feature. <laughs> yes, yeah, and they had a bug a couple of months ago, um, and the snapshot system sort of got a bit carried over the top, and it actually took snapshots down in the region for an hour or so. Holy moly, that's <laughs> yeah. impressive. So, yeah, it, it, we, t- we take a serious amount of backups. I think we've done like 12 terabytes worth of snapshots in the last two years. Oh no, I'm sorry, I mean I'm in petabytes. Sorry, not terabytes. That's insane. And like so, you know, it started off with a very simple cron script and now how has it grown? Is it is it kind of kept that simplicity even throughout kind of a, you know, catering for AWS? Or have you started to look into, you know, maybe more, you know, different solutions, different infrastructure concerns and whatnot? I've pretty much focused on the core of digitalization, but just making that better for our for our premium customers. So um, much better retention policies. So we do rotations through like uh, daily, weekly, and monthly rotations, which they digitalization would never offer. Um, and then cross-region replication. That's, I've sort of focused on digitalization, and I'm going to start adding more features to AWS shortly if I can get some more customers. I, I like that we just focus on digitalization. Well, you're, 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 you know, there's a, there's a missing bit, you know, thing in the market and you, you know, hole in the market and you're filling it. It's interesting with like, did, is DigitalOcean ever, have they ever scheduled, you know, speaking to the contact in DigitalOcean, have they ever said, well, this is something that we may be adding or is this something, you know, that you, you know, you've got a good business plan? Cause I suppose that's always the fear, isn't it? Yeah, that's really, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's something that keeps me awake at night or it used to. Um, so at the end of last year or last summer, they said they were going to bring it out at the end of last year, daily backups which made me panic. And then at the end of the year, they hadn't released it. So I sort of got hold of people there and they said that they're not going to release it until at least the end of this year. And when I talk to my customers about what the offering is from DigitalOcean, I I don't think I'm going to lose any customers. That's brilliant. And the thing is with something like a backup service, they want trust and you know regularity keep it simple and if it's working why you know why try and change it if it's not broke don't fix it so it's one of those things that if you can provide that confidence still they're less likely to want to change it as you know you're providing that service already yes yeah, so i basically just need to make sure that i keep ahead of what they release and i, I think i should be able to do that that's right. so if you've got like a roadmap then of ideas and things to do different you know plans different kind of schedules backup schedules retention policies and whatnot uh, yeah, I think the next focus is just on notifications. Um, but yeah, the roadmap is quite lean at the moment. <laughs> Trying to like, you know, obviously juggle this with having a baby and like work and everything. Yeah, it must be, it's an interesting thing. And like, obviously coming from say a problem you had in data, you know, it was one problem you had, you solved it, you then market it. What, what, how, how did that marketing go? Like, did you, uh, you know, was it free at first and then you've moved to pay customers? Like trying to get someone to pay for something seems like a an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I know. When the first person paid that £2 a month subscription, where, when I had prices that low, it was like pop champagne and have a party. It must be a great feeling. That's got to be a great feeling when someone's actually paying for something, you know, a software service that you've actually, you know, you've built, you've put, you know, it's a problem that you've solved and you've able to market yeah, I know. Yeah. So I put it on Product Hunt and um, that was the my full marketing effort at the time was going on Product Hunt and it did quite well on that day. It may have been because Snap, Snapchat did their ICO that day. Is it ICO? Well, that's just great you know, ideas from you. You know, yeah. that, that is perfectly executed. I like it. Yeah, I didn't even realize. So I think I got quite a lot of upvotes from people who were just mistaking <laughs> Snapshooter. <laughs> um, 
so it did well but then also DigitalOcean have a community forum and they have um, community pages and i've sort of gone through to try and be as helpful as possible while also providing a link to myself um and they are actually sort of my main marketing channels and at this point um after two years of doing small amounts of seo work i'm pretty much at the top when you search for DigitalOcean backups and that's now the main marketing channel nice that's great and and all, all your plans are paid for now you get a free trial is it uh no there's still a free plan if you have one backup uh one droplet or volume or aws server that you want backing up that's free and do you find that people do eventually upgrade those you know you can turn them into paying customers uh yeah they tend to i i hope everyone's sort of aspiring to have more servers in the future um so there is that and then my other thinking was if you as a sort of a single developer sign up and use it for your site and then you go to the workplace and they're using the same infrastructure i've already got you as a sort of a recommendation awesome and then there's another product actually you made which is backup stream is this is this something similar kind of you know the idea of backups you're hopefully you know target in that space so that was when i read about digitalization doing daily backups i thought maybe i should separate myself and offer pivot pivot yeah exactly and but Obviously, Snapshooter was still working, so I thought I would build a backup system that worked similar to how DigitalOcean takes snapshots. But so yeah, the same sort of method, but for any Linux-based server. So I did actually get the prototype for that set up. I just just didn't like how it worked, and I thought it was just going to be difficult to market, and the the risk was a lot more. So with Snapshooter, I don't pay the storage costs. The customer pays the storage costs with DigitalOcean. You're just kind of the middleman, yeah. just doing yeah, doing the plumbing, kind of getting the API calls, making sure that it's cleaning up and everything. Yeah, correct. So when I looked at doing it myself, even if I used someone else's storage, it's, it's still going to be something of a risk. And um, I sort of fell out of favor with the idea. It may, it hasn't fully gone, so it may come back to life if digitalization decide to squash me in the future. <laughs> No, that's really interesting, though. It is interesting, kind of like how an idea comes to be. And then, you know, you start relying on this idea, but you obviously in this space, you can't really rest on your laurels. You, you have to constantly be adapting, thinking of new things. So uh, so with Snapshooter then, what you always have backup stream. What else has come out since then, like ideas that you've had and kind of brought into fruition? Okay, so my latest idea is called Automaily, um, and I'm actively working on that at the moment so that's probably why snapsheet is not really moving um development wise but it's a tool for connecting SaaS products to to be able to manage onboarding and dunning emails which is a problem i've had with snapshooter is people's payments fail each month you have to go and look at- into making sure to pester them and whatnot. yeah so i thought i'd build a whole tool that just connected to your stripe account and you could easily set up custom workflows around payment collection and stuff so that's why I'm working on another sort of dog food idea. And so from there, then, like, obviously, you know, I think you're live streaming this as well. Like looking for your Twitter and stuff. Like, how's that going? The experience of kind of coding while people are watching and whatnot. Oh, it's, 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 a, <laughs> it's a bit sort of nervous. And then I get so, uh, I don't know how people do it at conferences or whatever, stand up front and do live coding. Cause... It's like the worst idea ever, isn't it? Like, it's like, what could go, everything could go wrong. I forget to put a dollar sign when I'm programming in PHP. I'm like, oh no, that's like amateur hour. <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, so it's a bit nervous. But then on the other hand, so my partner works late every four weeks encourages me in those evenings to actually just get on and program especially if i've got people watching 
like no i can't watch youtube for 10 minutes that's it yeah just i keep, can't go and do this yeah. yeah no i just have to keep cranking and then i get i do it for about an hour and a half i get loads done in that time and then i can just relax where before i just spent all evening sort of programming and not really achieving anything but yeah, it's interesting. It's just make sure you don't open your environment file. <laughs> it's, it's, things, it's things you take for granted, isn't it? Yeah. You kind of you are constantly on show. Like, but does it change the way that you program? You solve problems. I mean, it's like pair programming. But are, are they are they talking back to you? Are people you know obviously interacting with you, or are you kind of talk rubber ducking essentially? Um, I mean, I've only had sort of three or four people in the stream at once chatting. So kind of. I mean, I. Reluctantly, event sourced a little aspect of automaily, and it's been quite nice to have people come on and um, ask questions about event sourcing. So, but again, that's distracting from building. But it's it's kind of nice to have a bit of interactivity. Yeah, absolutely. And so, what's the the stack like then for the? Is it a similar stack for all of these products that you've released, or are they very specific? I try and keep it as simple as possible with just using a Laravel project and as much out of the box laravel i can um to avoid to avoid complexity and going off and learning new things and getting sidetracked other things yeah so as i sort of just said there that i at work i use event sourcing extensively but when i try and build little projects for myself i try and avoid it and just get that sort of fast building but i've got to the point now on automatically where like one feature really could do with it so yeah, so she's definitely thinking that, yeah, you can bring this in then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of nice, but then you get into it and you're like, oh, there's quite a lot of programming needed. <laughs> so I, I like that, though, that your idea then is to keep it as simple as possible, as minimal code as possible, just to validate the idea. Because I suppose, again, that is the thing, isn't it? You know, if you don't bring it to the product, like, to the actual customer as mm-hmm. soon as possible, get an MVP out, then you don't know what you need. Uh, and they're going to decide what they want. I mean, that's what makes Snapshooter work, then, I'm guessing, is the fact that you've you know you've catered for that problem you've solved that problem that that's what they want and then you're getting feedback from them is it with, with something like snapshooter then then do you, ideas that you have new features new additions is it coming from you or is it mainly coming from the actual customer and you're kind of reacting to what they want it's a mixture of both now i think it's mostly coming from customers so i keep my eye out for any changes the digitalation has but it's normally suggestions from people so you have to be careful. You get suggestions from people who aren't paying. Um, and then I do get suggestions from people who are paying. So obviously you have to value them a, a lot, a lot higher than the free users. But but yeah, you do seem to get to the point where you have enough customers that they start sort of steering the direction of the product. And then as a product manager, I guess you need to, need to steer the ship. Yeah, you've kind of changed roles there, don't you? You know, you've gone from being this kind of, you know, this is my vision to now, okay, people are taking this on, people like this. What do they want? And you're then kind of aggregating ideas and, yeah, really managing the product instead. Yeah, you just got to make sure that you'd ask, you do have that sort of fixed vision in mind and you're, you are sort of going towards that while also taking into consideration people's ideas. Otherwise, you could end up building a mess if you took on every single suggestion you received. Oh, you could remove something that people desperately want and you're, you're thinking something completely different. So it's kind of like a good relationship there. That it's good to have with your customer. So how, how do you kind of communicate with them that? Is that through the DigitalOcean community kind of platform or is it, you know, emails back and forth? Like, hey, what, what ideas, what cool things would you want? What's having, you having issues with? 
Um, it's mostly through the actual um, through the website. So I have live chat, which has been sort of pretty valuable while while still small, and then email as well. So I get feedback directly from the customers. We started running M- is it MPS surveys now, so you know those emails uh, with zero to ten, and people sort of leave a rating and then quite often leave a message. So I either chase up with them because they're like, oh, well, it's great, but it could do with this or, or, or sort of similar comments. So uh, that's sort of the best source I found really for finding, at the moment, for finding new information uh, or feature ideas. Before it was just live chat. People would come on and look at the feature page and be like, well, does it do this? And you'd be like, no, but if you sign up for a trial, I'll get it done by the time your trial is <laughs> <laughs> and, and And it's interesting because obviously these are all products. These are solving problems. And another way of getting into kind of product or product design is really like products for educational purposes, for development educational purposes, something like Adam Athens doing a lot of, and you have Jeffrey Way and yeah, Where's Boss and things like that. And, and, and you know, they, they produce, you know, they produce amazing content and amazing stuff and they market that. Have you ever thought about doing something like that? Sort of, but it's not really my forte, to be honest. Um, I'm heavily dyslexic, so any sort of written material would not really be a good choice of my time. And then I have thought about doing videos in the past, but it is a lot of work, an immense amount of work. And then you've got to get that single sort of product launch. So those guys are going to are releasing sort of new courses every sort of six to 12 months. Obviously, they're making a healthy amount of money on each product release. I can't imagine there's a long tail on that income. You know, both avenues, it's very interesting just, you know, which avenue to go down, especially because if it's a developer, you can either do the teaching aspects, aiding the developer in that way, or aiding them with product tools and with actual, you know, business ideas. I mean, that's one thing actually to say is how uh, unique of a problem is it developing tools and products for developers over other customers i think so it probably has its pros and cons so the pro is we're a fickle bunch we're a fickle bunch (laughs) the pro is in some sense it's easier to get to market because you can you're a developer you know the space you know where to go and find other developers to go and talk to but then on the other hand in my experience they don't tend to want to pay for things if it's not through work and they're, they're more than happy to drop something and go to something else instantly if it's slightly better Interestingly, on Snapshot, it's not really someone like myself who's signing up. It's the person who runs a web agency or it's the small company in North America who happen to have their developers set up a, a digitalization server for them and then they've never talked to the guy again and they're worried about backups. So it's, it's, it, I would, I'm not really sure it's actually a developer who's the target customer. But as you say, like, you know, you're providing that service and, and it's a needed service there. And developers, yeah, we're a fickle bunch. And on this, you know, switch on the dime pivot, you know, as and what. Uh, it, has there only been any other kind of like developer-centric products that you've thought of that you've released that, you know, you found, ah, this this isn't going to work or hasn't, you know, been, it's been successful for a while and, and kind of petered out? Uh, I thought about a few ideas. I thought about some SSH key management stuff, uh, but I think maybe 10 years ago that would have been a much better idea. But now with different deployment methods and using Docker and stuff like that, um, it's not not quite as key. And then I thought about, based on this podcast, actually, the Lambda-based stuff on AWS. And actually, oh, yes. And hosting. Yes. And I, was, I, I, I spent a good month or two uh, trying to host Laravel websites on that. And I thought I could turn that into a business. And then I sort of decided that I didn't really like the idea. 
awesome. <laughs> no, but how, how did you how, how did you enjoy did you enjoy like looking into lambda and stuff because obviously it's been a massive development now with the runtime stuff and layering and everything was it before that that you were looking into it it was yeah it must have been about a year ago now so it seems that the amount of material out there has now drastically improved it was quite lean at the time so i did manage to get it running successfully but i never decided to host a full functioning app on it yeah there were, i think there's still some drawbacks about cold booting and uh, the biggest one for me was the queue handling wasn't great i couldn't think of a good way to run like jobs from laravel into sqs queues to then get them back into lambda executions but now i think you can do that can't you, you can don't know you can take it onto an sqs queue and then you just execute the lambda and then it can pull down yeah so you could you could in theory do it you could do it that way but i think now you can actually li- you can get the sqs queue to now invoke the lambda function yeah, it spins up the lambda which was like the one of the one of the missing things that everyone really wanted because as you say like what were you going how how are you going to be able to use this without that you could do it with sns but you couldn't do it with sqs yet yeah so yeah that's a salute yeah so that i mean that's the thing with aws though and i'm sure you'll see with like their backups and stuff because i think there is like an aws backup yeah (laughs) Yeah. they do i mean they release everything and anything and they're very quick to like kind of add things and change things and you know you'll you'll make a nice solution to something and then they're like it's like i had this with the waf logging stuff so it's like i had this waf logging stuff they i had to look into their api similar to how you do with like snapshoot where you're like right this is how i can actually get back a samples essentially of things that have been blocked because they didn't actually give you access to the actual full waf log of what has been blocked which was one of those things where you're like I don't know if you're not telling me what's been blocked, how am I going to know? Yeah. Uh, you know, how am I going to be able to tweak my settings and my rules and whatnot? Uh, but yes, and then it was only last year, like late last year, they decided, yep, we're going to now allow you to do it through, uh, you know, Kinesis um, streams and whatnot. And it's that thing where, you know, you build up a lot of infrastructure around it to solve it one way and then they go and change it, which is they change it in a good way because they provide it for you. But obviously it's one of those things where it's like, now I've got to go and spend more time changing things. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that they're quick. I mean, they seem to... They seem to be taking over the market, don't they? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, but that's interesting with like DigitalOcean because so how do you actually uh, host, you know, all your infrastructure concerns? What 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 do you use for for these products? I actually just put it all in DigitalOcean. Um, I thought about hosting it on AWS, but sometimes DigitalOcean have uh, networking issues. It seems to be. I subscribe to their error, uh, their status page, and they seem to have quite a lot of sort of uh, intermittent network problems. So I thought if I was actually in the data centers, I would avoid that risk anyway. Yeah, so it's all on DigitalOcean. And do you use DigitalOcean for all your products then, for all all kind of things that you use? Um, no, we tend to use AWS for actual projects. And if we want a small sort of self-contained service server, we would just stick it on DigitalOcean. And, and I've got to ask then, so how do you come up with all these ideas? Because I think that's one thing that it must be, constantly uh, ideas constantly flowing through you know through and you're kind of processing them saying yes this is a good idea no that's a bad idea like you know how do you come up with these ideas and what how do you validate these ideas quickly um i guess i'm yeah i'm always coming up with ideas um i think if you're struggling to come up with ideas maybe sit down every day and try and just write down maybe five five business ideas for example it could be anything and then eventually you'll get better at it but my ideas just sort of tend to come from what I'm doing at the time. So, for example, Snapshooter, we're having issues with backups. That was a nice way to solve it. Automaily, Snapshooter's having issues with payment failures. 
So like explore solutions, see what's out there. Think I could do a better job. <laughs> Go with that. Um, as to validating them, I would say if you come up with an idea and it, you can't get it out of your head, like it's still every it just sticks in there. Yeah, you can't even get to sleep because you're thinking about it, and then you're thinking about it the next day, and then the next week it hasn't just fallen off from your thoughts. Yeah, it's probably it's probably getting there, and you should just try and talk to as many people that it would benefit as you can. Um, don't don't just sort of keep your idea to yourself would be my suggestion there would be go and talk to as many different interested parties as you can yeah because i think that's the hard thing as a developer we we very much like being hermits and you know kind of just coding away Uh, and even if we have a good solution to a problem we may never actually tell the person that we have the solution uh when it's not very good at kind of communication in that regard so do you find you have to get out of your comfort zone or are you very apt in like kind of asking people now based on like obviously your experience you know when you did like the the whole renting thing and everything like working out right i like you know this is a problem i want to solve and talking to people and opening up and being like you know yeah open up those channels of communication yeah i think so before when i ran full rent i was as you say just coding in <laughs> coding in my little office bedroom and just hoping that i'd get it done and i'd release it to the world and you know people would come and then ever since that i've just been more open about my ideas talking about them publicly so anyone can comment and then i've sort of joined a whole bunch of communities for bootstrappers and founders and it's great just to bounce ideas off people so i would just say not to be afraid that anyone's going to steal your idea and just try and talk about it as much as you can that's always the thing because people want to hide their ideas thinking that their idea is valuable uh has that obviously that that shattered that illusion to you like you know ideas aren't that fragile and that precious yeah i think possibly a while ago years and years and years ago having an idea was a lot of value and you could almost get money off an idea investment but now it's all got to do with the execution so i wouldn't reveal completely all of your execution plans but there's no risk talking i don't think talking about your ideas to people i would just say welcome the competition if they're going to come that's it. And, you're, and if you're looking at it from kind of a, like a utopian vision kind of way you know you're really saying you're just trying to solve that problem and whoever chose the problem the best wins great but you know you've got your own wrinkle to it and stuff and it's like you say with automaily so there may be other players in the market but you may be solving it a certain way that you know it may be a good customer fit for someone yeah precisely so i guess on the mentality of snapshooter was built to do as little function as possible including (laughs) collecting fail payments that was all done by hand um, I thought this would be an opportunity to build something that could support that for other bootstrap sort of founders and people, developers, so they don't have to build all this quite complicated systems for emailing people and reattempting charges and stuff. So they could just build the core of their product. It's that whole thing of, can I, you know, the, the value that I'm getting from this product is worth the money and I can just forget about that problem. Yeah, yeah, precisely, yeah. I can't remember where I heard it, but it was uh, it was interesting. Like, I mean, even down to the fact that it could be the way that you payments, you know, maybe you pay on an, a yearly basis or a monthly basis and it just works out that your payments work for the company that, you know, it may be, you know, targeting that they deal with things in a yearly way of payments as opposed to a monthly, you know, all these different wrinkles, like a company, you know, you, your product, even though it may be similar to another product, it may be a good fit for, for a decent amount of customers. So it's it's not, you know, thinking, oh, it's already been solved. There may be a case, even though it's this people, you know, frown upon this, I would like, you know, don't reinvent the wheel if a problem's or you know, if a solution's already out there. But 
you may be doing it just a little different that will work better for someone. Yeah, it's that it's difficult. The whole "don't reinvent the wheel" thing. Um, in some cases, well, maybe a lot of cases, you can if you do one thing better than the competition, that may be enough to have a, a sort of a segment of the market for yourself. So, if there are competition who do hundreds of features, but there's just the one feature that you know people want that doesn't work how it should, you know, depending on circumstances, you could successfully enter the market there. I think that's opening to a lot of people because I think people get scared, you know, thinking, oh, their ideas, they're already, not, you know, it's already been created or someone's going to do it better. I mean, how do you, how do you kind of, I suppose you do have to kind of be a, you know, very much kind of like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this and optimistic as opposed to trying being very pessimistic on it. How do you maintain being optimistic kind of with these ideas? Is it because it's just the excitement of that idea and the solution? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, just further back to the point before, I think, when people come up with an idea and then they Google it and they see other people in the market, they get sort of disheartened. And then if you come up with an idea and you can't see anything in the market, you get sort of quite excited. You should probably flip that on your head. If you search for something like an idea that you've had and you see nothing online, no one doing it currently, probably a sign that you're going to really struggle to do it. And you're going to have it. to try and make yeah market it because it's already it needs marketing no one knows that they have this problem or that they need a yeah. solution yeah, to this exactly. problem. if yeah. you've got to educate people that they have a problem that's going to be difficult in itself not not impossible but difficult so if you can find that maybe it's like goldilocks you need some sort of sweet spot between the two to find where there is a market and one that you can enter into I mean, this is what's interesting. Obviously, you've got the code, you know, and everything. And how do you manage the business side of products? Because, you know, reading your blog posts and stuff, you're very good at kind of the businessy side of things and talking in the marketing aspects and stuff. Like, what, how did you learn this? And, and what, what makes you, intri- you know, interested in this? Would you say you're more interested in the business side of it than the tech side of it? Like, how does that work? Uh, I'd say it's a good mix, really. I do like the tech side. Um, I don't like the tech side when everything goes wrong at 11 o'clock at night. Um, and I like the business side. The marketing is... I, I guess it's something that I've not done professionally and I've had to go and learn how to do. And I still wouldn't say I'm anywhere nearer an expert or even entry level at it, but it's something that's sort of necessary through incremental improvements over the last two years. I've got to the stage where we're sort of growing the fastest we have. So I, I, I guess it's working. Because you're a solo Yes. So, you, you know, yeah. you've rolled, you rolled solo with all this. So how do you, do, would you, would you like to go, you know, on board with someone else? Is it, do you find that the value, obviously you've got these communities, you, communities you talk with in and stuff, but like, do you find that you have to be kind of like a jack of all trades in this regard where you can do development, you do product, you can do business, or is it okay to specialize in more and maybe be weaker in others? Oh, it's, it's difficult. Um, for example, my front end development skills are non-existent. And I, I think you could probably see that in anything I've ever built, that the front end isn't the most interactive and uh, fluid system you've ever, ever used. So that would, I'd say, is sort of a negative. So if I could get someone who was better at that, that may help. But getting a partner on board is is complicated, I guess. You would need to make sure that you trust the person. You'd need to work out how you do equity splits. You need to make sure you both do the same amount of work. So... I, based on like the communities I was on, I'd never ever take someone from there as a partner because I, I, I don't know any of them personally. Maybe if someone from my closer circle was interested and had sort of complementing skills for whatever we were trying to target, it might be a good choice. 
And I think in a lot of cases, it can be a good choice. You sort of do see that good match between a technical founder and a non-technical founder, but it, it depends what you're building. And uh, it's not something I've taken the plunge in on yet. Well, and also you got a day job and everything, so it's not. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Not easy. Yeah. It's, so, it's not easy to kind of unless you're going to. I mean, have you ever thought about diving into, you know, like saying, right, I want to do this full time, think of ideas, and you know, really invest my whole time in it? Ah, it's difficult. Uh, <laughs> if if I had Snapshooter to the point now when I left university, I'd have never needed to get a full time job. But now I've got the mortgage, the child <laughs> in daycare, everything. Everything's just got more expensive. Um, Real life, sadly. <laughs> yeah, so it's almost like as as income has increased because I've got a day job and Snapshooter's growing. So has all the expenditures in life, <laughs> meaning that the like the. The uh, the bar for give or well, giving up, but stopping daytime work and just doing this full time just sort of seems to move forward with me. <laughs> no, absolutely, and, and we kind of touched on it there, saying you know, like you know, UI skills and design skills. You know, developers and design. Uh, you know, back end developers and designers in particular. You know, it is hard. So, so how do you actually get around that then? So, if you you know, you've obviously marketed, you've got some you know relatively nice design, I'd say, like you know, for these things. Like, how have you got around doing this and? And getting a buy, you know, in the first in the first like kind of stages, I buy all of the themes for the websites. So I go on to theme- developers hate designers hate that. Sorry, don't they? They're like, no, you don't. It's like well, it's similar for us to say that someone just uses WordPress and yeah. then put, like, puts a load of plugins on. It's a very similar mentality. I've, that's what I've always done. I've never been able to do web design, so I've always just gone and purchased a WordPress theme. But it's knowing your strengths and weaknesses, though, isn't it? And that there's value in that. Like, why would you want to spend all this time trying to do design if you know that's not what you want? And maybe, as a, I suppose, as you're targeting a lot of these for developers, that the UI doesn't have to be that special. That's true. I mean, on Snapshooter, it is the the start commands. When you start a new project and you say make auth, it generates you a login and a register page and a dashboard. Really, really simple bootstrap. And I've just sort of plonked tables in there and built a settings panel and stuff based off that sort of wireframe to start with. And I, I have customers tell me that the UI is nice. So it's obviously maybe it's working. Maybe, it's working. Fun, maybe just a functional U, uh, UI or functioning website is, you know, you're 80% of the way there if it functions well and everything else would just be sort of bells and whistles. Awesome. And, and so uh, I've kept you for, for too long, I feel, you know, oh, thanks again so much. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. My, my last question is really, what advice would you give to someone who perhaps they have an idea, they're a developer, they're in like, you know, the same boat as us where we're developers and stuff, have an idea and they're looking into building it and making it into a product. Like what resources would you recommend and kind of, you know, what would you take from your experience and your, your past, like, you know, and kind of instilling someone? I guess would be first of all, if you if you come up with an idea, start talking about it as much as you can with as many people as you can, preferably the the market that you're actually going into, not just your mum or your dad. <laughs> or <laughs> They're going to say it's all great, aren't they? They're yeah. going to love it all. Well, yeah, exactly. Make sure it's actually someone who is um, interested in what and who's going to pay for it. I suppose is the thing because that's probably the thing. If, if everyone's going to love a free product, but if someone's actually willing and I say, yeah, I'll give you some money for that, that must change you know your kind of opinion on it yeah true and i mean you've still got to be very cautious until the person you're talking to has paid money um i've seen quite a few people do like free beaters of products and they've been developing them and then as soon as they've gone to switch it to paid 
no one has converted, no one is signing up, and it's like back. To that must be a really horrible feeling. Yeah, yeah, it must be. Yeah, and you've gone so far down the road. I, I sort of. So my suggestions would be to sort of quickly sum it up would be to talk to as many sort of stakeholders in what you're building as possible come up with the smallest possible way you could build some value for them and put it in front of them with a charge so they have to pay even if it's the smallest thing and it's only a small amount of money and sort of incremental improvements from there as you say then you haven't got the friction because i'm sure there's there's loads of products there which you know the the idea they want to get people in and get ideas and, and and kind of feedback is that they you know market it as free and now you've put the free tag on it when you try and convert them into pay customers that must be a very hard friction point you know to say well I've, it's already free now you know and now you're making me and and i think what some people then have the free plans forever and it's like well then they're never going to get value out of that so yeah, it, it, I think you're right in that making it paid for at the beginning makes a lot of sense because it's like it's almost like telling the customer there is value in what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. And when they ask for a feature to be added, it's because they want more value out of what they're paying. It's not just because they're free and it would be nice if it did this as well. It's like you're going to find out what their actual needs are much quicker. That's good. And how do you deal with like say like price increases? So I suppose it started off as two pound or two dollars, you know, however a month. And like, how does that? You know, I mean, obviously no one likes paying more for things, but have, have, how do you kind of market that? Uh, I have always just grandfathered the plans and come out with new, more expensive plans. So I actually have no one on that original two pound plan now. I've actually, I've actually upgraded to a newer, more expensive plan. So I've always done that. I've always, I always think it's easier to increase your prices by sort of not making the old plans publicly available anymore and sort of grandfathering them in. If you were to decrease your prices, you're going to end up with difficult conversations with people who have already paid. If you've upgraded, refunding and giving them like well, you know, credit yeah. or whatever. And I mean, unless you haven't actually got anyone sign up, then it, it wouldn't matter. But yeah, I, I always feel that would be a difficult thing to say. Well, how far do I backdate you if you wanted to do that or whatever? So maybe just 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 head north if you're going to do prices. Yeah, exactly. Just stay at what you're doing or head north. Don't don't bother with the decreasing. And like, so obviously, like, pay. The, sorry, I'll, I'll keep you more longer. But like the payment gateways, like the payment gateways. How, how do you deal with that? What have you stuck on one? Like, do you find that you use a specific one? Like, I mean, they're always fun to integrate. So, yeah. So how, how, how do you go about doing that? I always base it around stripe and um yeah focus on stripe and then with other platforms for example um, paypal i have two customers who buy, pay me via paypal and i just manage that manually and, okay that's cool i've got them on stripe plans with 100 percent discounts so. Ah, so you can keep it there. that's it because yeah. i suppose that's the trouble is like again you're trying to cater for as many people as possible with different payment gateways and different payment yeah type it, form, it forms such a key aspect of how any sort of SaaS software works is how the billing works you know how much resource can you use etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's, it's nice to keep it all in one place um obviously there are other services out there who is it charge me who will support different platforms um so you could then they'll take their cuts and everything exactly, that you have yeah 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 the the biggest pain which is for everything is tax but <laughs> I, you never know what VAT in the EU will be like in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> yes, that would be very topical at the moment. Oh, yes. dear. 
Oh, dear, dear, dear. Well, no, thank you, Simon. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. It's been really interesting kind of getting your insight into product design and melding that with develop, you know, development and stuff. I think it's, it's something that I've definitely shied away from and, and not really looked into. I'm, I'm definitely into the code, into the design, like kind of design, software design and new things like that. But I definitely see the value and, the, and kind of the intrigue and, and the you know, excitement. We're very lucky as developers that we have this tool that we're able to create you know, these products that could help other people. And, and I think it's, you know, about focus, about excitement in that and maintaining that. And it's interesting to see you and, you know, kind of your history. Brilliant. That's well, awesome. great to be on here. Thank you. That's nice. No, no worries at all, man. Well, audience, it's been another great episode and we'll speak to you again next week. Goodbye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number three devs and a maybe.